Welcome to this live version of BrainPod, a podcast dedicated to the minds shaping our world through engineering. In this episode, we will listen to Engineers Without Borders, discussing perspectives of the engineer's role in the climate transition. This episode was recorded during Engineering Day 2023 in Stockholm on November 23rd. Good morning, everyone. I'm Caroline Edelstam. I'm the Secretary General at Engineers Without Borders in Sweden. And welcome to Ingenjörsdagen BrainPod, where we have a diverse panel with unique perspectives to discuss the engineers' role in the climate transition. So let's dive in. I'm very happy to welcome today with us Mr. Erik von Pistolkors, who is the Deputy Head of Representation at the Euro- uh, European Commission in Sweden. We also have with us Mats Hellström, who is the chairman of Norden International and Sweden's former Minister of Foreign Trade, European and Nordic Affairs, and Sweden's former Minister of Agriculture. Also with us, we have uh, Professor Terence Brown, Professor in Technology-Based Entrepreneurship at KTH in Stockholm. Marie Ideström, who is the founder and CEO of Women Engineer and also Karin Roos, who is the climate tech lead at Sting. So welcome everyone. Good to have you here. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. I thought I would start a little bit to ask you, Eric. Actually, policymaking can foster innovation. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here today. Important event with engineering innovation in Sweden. And I'm happy to share with you a bit the sort of EU perspective on this issue. So first of all, I mean, I think it's important to underline the whole uh, current European Commission's striving towards uh, climate ambitions with the green transition and how we can foster and help innovation there is central. So to this effect, we have put in place something called the Innovation Principle, which is a tool to help achieve EU policy objectives by ensuring that legislation is designed in a way that creates the best possible conditions for innovation to flourish. The principle means that in future, when the Commission develops new initiatives, it will take into account the effect on innovation. And this will ensure that all new EU policy or regulation support a regulation support innovation that regulatory framework in Europe is innovation friendly. So I think this is a sort of basic uh, principle that we try and put in place to try and make sure that that what we do and say in the legislation that comes basically is conducive for the innovation environment. So this is a bit of a development of how you have actually worked with this previously. Absolutely. Obviously, you know, this is a, it's not a static situation. So things change, legislation change, the reality change, changes all the time. So we have to keep abreast with that. And I think this has so far seemed to be quite successful and served as well. But obviously there are lots of other policy areas that have a bearing on innovation at the EU level. But I'll, I'll come back to those later. Thank you very much, Eric. So, Mats, I'm uh, thinking, considering your experience, how can actually institutions address engineering challenges and foster innovation? First, I do think that the linear approach that's so well known is not very valuable. I mean, linear in the sense, in Swedish, from ax to limpa, or linear in the sense somebody makes an innovation, then it goes to an incubator, 
to foster it, then to get some venture capital, and then in the end, sales to <coughs> the public. But rather, it's around two concentric circles where you start first where you are. And this is very much what the engineers have to deal with also. Where you are in the first circle to mobilize knowledge, to focus on growth areas, to attract competence in this sort of exploitation phase. And then, once you know where you are, you go into the exploration phase. And there you have to first take away barriers. And these barriers could be substantial for innovation. That could be old-fashioned laws. That could be bad uh, owners of a company <laughs> or, or conservative owners. That could be different things like that. That you have to m move these first. And then you have to pioneer new demand. Get to the demand side. And after that, you have to go into the environment for future markets. And then you can produce and sell your product or whatever you have invented. So with this approach, the engineers are important in all these aspects that I mentioned. Thank you very much. No, it's a completely different uh, approach you're actually mentioning. So still innovation is the main focus of both the perspectives you gave. But I'm thinking, Eric, if you could pro provide some examples where actually there have been successful uh, policies that have promoted innovation within the engineering sector. I mean, there's lots of different ones, but I think that the most sort of significant policy areas has been the research, the EU research funding that's been available since 2014 under the Horizon 2020 program, mm. and then the success of the Horizon Europe, which is now running between 2021 and 2027. And just to give you an idea of the amount of money, it's 95.5 billion euros wow. for the whole of the EU. And I think that is one aspect. The funding is in place, but I think it's also important to, to, to look at other things that maybe not immediately come to mind when you think about innovation policies. And that would be, for instance, the single market. Mm the jewel in the crown, if you like, the European integration, yeah. you know, the free movement of, of capital, uh, etc. Uh, it also has a bearing on innovation, it's created the sort of level playing field in, in Europe for, for innovative uh, companies to flourish. So those, those two things I would po point out from the outset. Is, but then there are other little smaller things that you can tweak, etc. Would you say that Sweden is actually taking advantage of all the support you can get uh, from uh from EU in regard to this in terms of uh, research and... Uh... I would say so. I think Sweden uh, is doing a, its level best to... Uh, I mean, it's not a zero-sum game. It shouldn't be a zero-sum game, but I think it... You know, to make take advantage of the opportunities there. Sweden is an innovation country, and I was telling the professor earlier as we were waiting about the, uh, the, the present that all ministers got from the Swedish government mm. when they came here for the... Uh, presidency that we had earlier this year. Yes. They were all given a, a book about Swedish innovations produced by the uh, Engineering Academy, and, you know, just to showcase to people that Sweden's more than IKEA and, and uh, Volvo, basically. Again, also the, the fact that Sweden put competitiveness on the agenda for the presidency is also telling of the importance that it attaches not only to that, but 
competitiveness and innovation go hand in hand, basically. So yes, I think there's always, you know, people can point to things that the more things need to be done mm. always. But, but I think Sweden's up there in the top, absolutely. And also, Mas, how do you think the Nordic institutions' way of life actually increase innovation? The Nordic countries are very often said to be the most innovative regions in Europe. Mm. And so why? And this is to answer your question about Nordic way of life, perhaps. First, we are open societies. Mm. And this is, of course, also with the single market, the European Union that you mentioned, very important. We are open and we are also countries where the secrecy is, is low. And we have, in general, a very positive approach to new ideas, new things. But the openness, I would say, is perhaps the most important of these different things that characterizes the Nordics. And, and of course, also the kind of history that we have. <laughs> we are small, we need competition, and, and we are on the edge to do that. And also, Important is, we do have a social welfare system that helps innovation, mm. not spoils it. I mean, f- people who are frightened are not creative normally. So with social security, where you are not frightened, you also ha- help innovation, in fact. And this is another feature of the Nordics. And maybe the uh, closeness to nature contribute to this happy state of creative minds. Certainly when it comes to climate, that we will discuss also here, definitely. That brings us into why we are here today, to discuss the transformation in uh, climate change. And so with us also we have Professor Brown. So I thought it would be interesting to hear you as an academic, how you think the academic institutions adapt their curriculums to ensure that uh, future engineers are equipped to address the evolving challenges of climate transition and also in regard to innovation and how do we actually prepare the the next generation of engineers ooh a big question but uh, thanks caroline for for having me well one of the clearest and most direct things that institutions in in sweden in particular uh, have done over the last couple of years is uh, with regards to requiring students to keep an eye on sustainability and produce, to be graded on sustainability. And as a result, faculty needs to incorporate in learning uh, objectives and in examination and uh, and whatnot from the bachelor level to the master level and now soon to be in the uh, PhD as well, that everything needs to take into account this idea of of, uh, sustainability. In fact, the biggest change in teaching entrepreneurship over the last 25 years since I've been doing it here in, in at, uh, at KTH. Again, I, I'm teaching uh, entrepreneurship, technology-based entrepreneurship. In 2000 or late 90s, students weren't thinking about uh, green. They weren't thinking about sustainability or anything like that at all. However, today, when I have students produce um, ideas uh, or write business plans and those sorts of things, more than 50% of the ideas are related to uh, sustainability. I mean, I think in part it's a generational thing, but it's it, it's a really big change, and the university is trying to uh, to keep up with this. Mm. I think that this idea of innovation is is, is important. I think that 
one of the challenges that, that engineers tend to have is they tend to uh, create things because they can, because it's technologically feasible. What I'm trying to do is trying to, to be uh, problem and solution oriented. That uh, by identifying uh, problems and then creating solutions for those is what we're really looking for. I mean, if you create a, a new technology and uh, it doesn't really solve a problem, you know, it's going to take up, it's going to be a great exhibit at the Technology Museum, but it's not really going to be uh, an innovation. We need to be able to commercialize some of these ideas in order for it truly to take root and, and be an innovation. So the system, uh, institutions encouraging this, this having the, the, uh, this idea of commercialization in the back of their head is really what innovation is about. It's about solving problems creatively using, using technology and then spreading it. So it's useful for society. So we are all coming back to in the discussion that, I mean, we need funding to be able to do this climate transition. And there is also the sense of responsibility from the students. So you as an institution in Stockholm, do you rely on the EU to actually support you in this? The Horizon Project mm. is, uh, is one way the EU directly helps the, the researchers. And then, you know, but cr helping create the single market and, and other sorts of environmental and contextual things to allow innovation to occur. I think that policymakers tend to think that they can steer industrial development by imposing lots of uh, different rules and, and, and whatnot. And I think that uh, one of the best things it can do is, you know, create some frameworks to allow development to occur and then kind of step out of the way. And if something goes wrong, they can step back in, but don't try to insert themselves in, uh, in everything. So keeping a nice, pl even playing field, opening up framework, I think that that's a great role uh, for the EU. Eric, I think it would also be interesting to see a little bit about when we hear Professor Brown to, to see the role of policy in addressing the challenges of climate change mitigation. And what role do you actually see that the startup uh, companies play in this? I mean, that's the overall challenge for, for our generation. And I mean, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, the whole green transition uh, for the current European Commission is central in this, in this respect. Uh, maybe I could just bring an example. I mean, yesterday the Commission took a decision on forestry monitoring. We're in a country where 70% is covered by, by forests. Forest sector is an important source of, of, uh, of new technologies mm. to help with the green transition. Mm. So we need to keep our forests intact. We need to, that's hence the monitoring project. And I think to come back to your question about startups, I think that there is a lots of interesting uh, uh, company, new companies, both looking at uh, innovative uh, technology for building, building houses in wood as opposed to, to uh, concrete and steel is one thing. But also on, the, on more concretely and linked to yesterday's decision on forestry monitoring, there is a Swedish startup called Air Forest, which is a small company that looks at how can we manage our forests in a more sustainable ma manner, which this legislation aims to do. So that's just one example. But I think that, that you know, we could sit here for hours to talk about Different, the new, new ones, but I think it's a, it's a timely example, and it resonates well with both the climate ambitions and the fact that Sweden, together with Finland, are, you know, this is where the forests are in Europe, basically to some extent. As you say, we could talk very lengthy about all of those sort of things. What um, emerging technologies or innovations 
do you, Professor Brown, believe will have the most significant impact on the climate transition? And how should engineers actually prepare for them? I know you mentioned a little bit and their responsibility they feel, but could you please tell us a bit more? It's a tough question because you're kind of asking me to predict uh, the future. But I think clearly uh, artificial intelligence, AI, with uh, automation, which includes uh, robotics and and, and those sorts of things, are are probably going to be the two major technologies broadly Mm. that are going to impact everything, and climate change being uh, one of them. From an educational perspective, Mm. you know, the public education was, uh, in the U.S., was uh, created by a person called uh, Horace Mann, Initially, and it was to provide education to old and, and, and young and, and uh, rich and, and, and poor. But he saw a need to educate people differently because we were moving from an uh, agrar- agrarian society to an industrial one. Mm. And basically, education, public education in the West has been built on that for the last uh, a little more than 100 years. Mm. And now we're in a, a situation where the, we're moving to kind of a post-industrial environment where the teachings and learnings of the past hundred years Mm. may not be the ones that we need for the next hundred years. And so that's a big challenge for institutions and society as a whole is how do you you manage automation? How do you manage AI? It's a little bit different than uh, we've been doing before. So I think these are are some uh, amazing challenges that we face coming up. I was thinking, Mats, because you have this international uh, perspective behind you and uh, you've been working as an ambassador, you've been working as a minister, and now I know you have a lot of interactions in the Nordic and the Baltic um, area. So it would be interesting to learn a little bit more on what you think on how international cooperations intersect with uh, with engineering efforts in regard to actually uh, combat climate change? If you look at all these different summits about climate, like Paris, Glasgow and whatever will come, engineers are very important. Mm. The risk is otherwise that ideological concerns and different ideological concerns, people will position themselves on, on how to fight the climate changes and so on, and how to make climate better. But then they need, of course, strong knowledge that the entrepreneurs the, can give to, to the general public. That's very important. So the entrepreneurs here are very important for giving the facts on the ground for Paris, for Glasgow and so on. So that is an intersectionality with certainly with the, what is happening on the ground with entrepreneurs and the, what is understood by the public. I think we learned uh, many great um, insights here today. Now we will have a little change in the studio. And uh, so we will now welcome two new guests. So I would really like to thank you. Mr. Eric uh, von Pistolkors, Deputy Head of Representation of the European Commission in Sweden, and Professor Terence Brown, Entrepreneurship Professor at KTH. Thank you very much.
I will now invite Marie Ideström, who is the founder and the CEO of Women Engineer. And we will also have Karin Ries, uh, who is the climate tech lead at Sting here in Stockholm. I think it would be very interesting to learn a little bit more from you, Karin. We have been talking a lot about the startup scene, uh, innovation in the Nordics, uh, in Sweden, uh, but it would be good to hear a little bit what you think, what role does climate tech play in the climate transition? I mean, I think it has a very important role. And, and I mean, uh, also I heard previously here the touching up on the entrepreneurship uh, component. I mm. think it's very much about, you know, combining innovation, new technologies with the power of entrepreneurship to really drive change. Mm. And I think climate tech and, and startups is basically, you know, of course there is the role of the startup itself. They are bringing out new innovation, new technology to the market. There, there are those that say, you know, it's going to take quite some time. It takes time for startups to grow and, and to make real impact. So, so you need to have a quite long-term perspective on that. But I actually think the startups and, and, and climate tech has an, maybe an even more important role, at least in the shorter perspective, of challenging the current establishment, the status quo. And, and I think we've seen a lot of examples of that where actually it is, you know, the startups challenge the big corporates mm. to drive change. So they actually make, they are kind of the, the energy mm. to, to uh, or the driving force to the forcing the big corporates to make those transitions. And that is also a bit the same idea I mean, what we are experiencing when it comes to diversity challenge as well. Yes. So, Marie, you as an advocate for diversity, how do you think we can address gender gaps in engineering? I want to build on what Karin said there. I mean, it's challenging the establishment. I think one um, ingredient there is to uh, to pave the way for more female engineers because there's still uh, since forever I'd almost wanted to say but since for so long there's been a big um, disproportion between men and women in the engineering field that's a problem because all engineers are building solutions for for the entire population so we should have that the engineering uh, profession should mirror that and what we do at Women Engineer, Women Engineer is a foundation and our ambition is to inspire and inform particularly young girls to explore their tech interests and to encourage them to, to move in that direction. Because many still today choose to not uh, explore their tech interests. They choose to do other things instead because they think that the engineering field doesn't fit them. But that's wrong. So what we need to do now is to update this uh, very old perception of what engineering actually means and who can be that. So I think it's important to talk about the information about what an engineer actually does and who can be an engineer and inspiration in terms of uh, uh, putting female role models in the spotlight. Clever, smart women as yourselves. Well, <laughs> we do what we can. Yes, <laughs> That's we do. good. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm driving this question uh, a lot. Uh, I mean, it's very, very close to my heart also when it comes to uh, female founders mm. and, and we need more female founders of, of startups as well. Mm. I mean, and often they, I mean, they come out of the engineering education and so on. So, so it starts so much earlier, you know, you, we, we need to, you know, we need to go 
down to, to you know, eight, ten years uh, and then before they actually enter into to, uh, high school because there they have already made a first decision that wouldn't make it harder for them to continue into like the engineering and, and uh, technical universities. Uh, when, uh, when you mentioned this, I came to think, how can we actually support those girls? Is there any is there anything companies could actually do? How would you go about to actually promote them and strengthen them in early age? Just like Marie said, we need to be much more active on showing what the engineering mm. offers, basically. And I think there is an opportunity in climate tech. I mean, on the other topic we're discussing here, because a lot of, at least from my experience, a lot of, of female founders and entrepreneurs, they are very much driven by purpose. You know, they're not driven by the, the technology itself. Mm. They are driven by what change is this going to create? The big problems in our society Clearly, climate is one of them. There's also health, education, and so on. And that's, I think, would be much more mm. inspirational to take that perspective to get more girls and, and women into yeah, Because the we actually touched upon that before, that Professor Brown said that students feel a responsibility to actually take part in the climate transition and, as you say, in different sustainability initiatives. So... Yes. Um, Marie, can you come to think of a really um, good example? Yes. Yes, again. Something successful. I have one on top of my mind. One key is to activate the business world because mm. they really want to be part of the solution here. Um, so, and it's it's a bit of an untapped potential because they don't really know what to do. And I agree with you, Karin, that if we have to to look further down in in age, um, and when we started Women Engineer back in 2008, there were not many initiatives on this topic. But since then, it's been, uh, I mean, so many initiatives since then that has popped up. And what we do, and our primary activity at Women Engineer is that we arrange a day for teenage girls that particular period when they tend to lose their tech interest. Mm. We're there to uh, inspire them to keep this interest alive uh, so that they can make a well-educated decision about their higher education. Mm. So we target high school, well, what is it in Swedish or in English now? But uh, well, 13 to 19 years of age. That's when, they, when we see in the statistics that they tend to lose their interest. Mm. So we have an event that we call Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day which means that we do precisely that. We activate the business world. We let all the companies that have at least one female engineer among their employees to welcome a group of 20 teenage girls to their workplace. They get to try out the, the what a, a normal engineering day, work day could look like. They get to meet female role models. They get to try stuff on their own uh, to really spark their interest here, to make them see what it actually means to be an engineer. So the interest from the business world is really, really strong. What we try to do in, at We Engineer is, of course, to inspire the girls to actually join this day because uh, we see that the response is fantastic. 80% of, of all the participants, they get more inspired and interested in the engineering field after this day. So that's a very tangible way to reach the girls and to do something tangible. So perhaps because I know uh, that you are now, Karin, looking for um, new uh, companies to join Sting. Yes. 
maybe this could be a good opportunity that persons in your network, Marie, at Women Engineers, <laughs> <Yeah>, Women Engineers, <laughs> yes, actually would like startup companies that mm-hmm. might actually apply to Sting. Yeah, definitely. No, that definitely. That could be a yes. good uh, match. Yeah. A match made in mm. heaven. And I think also when we touched upon the the climate part to this as well, what we IGE Day, Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day. Our target group is obviously teenage girls and what is more on their agenda than the climate situation. So they're really, really devoted when it comes to this. And when they come out and meet the companies, they ask, they're very you know, blunt. They ask the questions like, why, why do you exist? What do you do that makes the world better? <laughs> and the companies need to have a good answer to that. And I think that's a really good yeah, encouragement for them as well. Final question for both of you would actually be, uh, it would be interesting just to see what role you think that female engineers play in the climate transition then. And for innovation, of course. This is my favorite question. I strongly, strongly believe that female engineers will play a very critical role in our future uh, going forward. Because what we need now in the complex world that we're living with so many challenges that we're facing, we need to look at things in a bit different, differently. And that's exactly what more female engineers can bring to the table. We need to change the perspective. And um, I heard someone said that the climate crisis might actually also be one of the world's largest feministic movements and not because it excludes men but it challenges the the structure and the values that have put us in the situation that we are in at the moment and i think that's exactly what we need and and typical female attributes would be you know looking more holistically uh, aiming for balance rather than growth you know changing the the end goal and i think that's exactly what we need so more female engineers will ha- will play a, a critical role uh, going forward for us i'm i'm positive and i have an example of that when i read um, have any of you read david attenborough's book life on our planet i love that book and he made an example there of um The Amazon jungle, that it's been around for 10,000 years. It's been the same in size, uh, minus the last 100 years. Uh, And it's the world's most successful example of diversity projects because there are so many species there and they're coexisting together and it's balance. And and that's that's what I'm seeing. That's That's where we need to aim. That's what we're aiming for, yes. Yes. I mean, I, I think it. I mean, it's it's simply a matter of of equality as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need engineers are bringing you know so many solutions to them to the market and and to to solve problems. And we need to have the women's perspective on developing these solutions as well. And if we don't, I mean, if it's only male engineers that that uh, or or the majority male, then we will not get the same kind of solutions to fit the whole population. So I think that is really and it's also a matter of, of wealth dis- distribution in the end and so mm. forth. So I, I I think it's just super important to mm. to uh, get more women engineers in. in uh... And if I may add as well, I think we all agree the the why why it's important and the question now is is how how should we do it how should we you know make space for, for female engineers to 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 end up here uh, and so that's where we need to put our focus on and i think ige day is a great example so if any of you working at a company that could uh, welcome a group of teenage girls sign up and and be part of the solution there are lots of good examples but we need I mean, obviously, there is not enough, or they haven't had the effect that we that we need. So we we need to do do a lot more, and we need to start uh, earlier. And and 
I mean, engineering at large, but I also think when it comes to coding, I mean, it's even more kind of male-dominated. Yeah, yeah. and that's an area where we need a lot of more competence. We need so much more, you know, people. Coding is a good example because a more traditional male perspective would be like, oh, cool with coding and you can do really nice lines of code. But typical female perspectives would be like, okay, what should I do with the code? What what purpose will it serve and and, uh, what problem can I solve? Mm. So we need to just lift uh, and look at the bigger picture. Yes. We have a lot to do. We are very busy, so we cannot be here all day because we have to change the world. Yes. But uh, one last question for you, Mats, uh, listening to uh, these beautiful women and giving your your experience in the Nordic area. Would you mind sharing some insights on what you, how you think of it from a Nordic perspective, talking about the world female movement and how women's engineers will survive in the future? Of course, the Nordics are the most equality-minded region in the world. Not enough, not enough at all, of course. But if you look at, at what's happening in the Nordic countries... There's more of equality between men and, men and women than in most other parts. And that, of course, is a prerequisite for what you mentioned, the untapped potentials. There is so much untapped potentials here, of course, mm. of women that could be very good engineers and entrepreneurs. This untapped potential is so strong that the Nordics would have an enormous advantage of really moving in the direction you, that you have mentioned. How to attract teenage girls to come to understand engineering importance and so on, and what they could do about climate change. So that, I, I would say, is a specific Nordic reason here. We are certainly not, not enough in equality, but more equal than most other of the European countries. So that is an untapped potential. Thank you very much to all of you. This concludes our insightful uh, brain pod session today. We have explored critical topics in the engineers' important role in the climate transition as we, we face together. And thank you all our distinguished guests for sharing uh, your expertise with us today. Yes, let's go out and change the world then. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes.